Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is so great to be with you guys. And hasn't this been just amazing to celebrate all of these life change stories? Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank the Lord. Praise God for that. It's been so awesome to see. 2023 has just been truly an amazing year already. It's just so many amazing stories, and we just are getting started. So we're so excited, you guys, to be with us today. We're continuing a series entitled Investigating Jesus. We're actually wrapping it up today. Uh, and as you hear it today, you're thinking, man, I'd like to hear the rest of the messages that went with this. Uh, you can go to our website, brazosfellowship.com, and all the messages are there. Now, as I get started this morning, I want to get you to think about something for just a minute. I want to show you something that doesn't look good on you. It doesn't look good on anybody. And here it is. Boom. Right? People who are self-righteous, they are rarely self-aware. Okay? They're not self-aware. But here's the interesting thing is that even though they're not self-aware, all the rest of us know about it. Right? Right? If you're around somebody who struggles with this, you are very aware that that is a part of their personality. Now, what's interesting and I want to point out to you is that self-righteousness is not a religious thing, uh, especially in the world that we live in today. It is a human thing. It is a human thing. And it is a real problem, especially as we're going to look at, Jesus felt like it was a real problem. He's going to speak to it today. And here's why it is a problem. The problem happens when our self-rightness makes us feel justified in dismissing or looking down on the unright, on anybody else that we might think, well, they're not as right as me. I know I've got the, the corner on rightness. And you may be right, but here's what Jesus would say. You may be right, but you're not righteous, right? You're not being righteous if you do that. If you use it as an excuse to disrespect another person, even if they're disrespecting you. Now, this is, this is one of those like, hard and challenging teachings of Jesus that often doesn't get applied by a lot of Christians. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. But what I want to do first, we're going to dive back into this in just a minute. We're going to back up with the big question that we started the entire series investigating Jesus with. Why is Jesus worth following in the first place? And what we found was that the best question that we could ask to help us answer this question uh, is... Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and of course these are the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, are any of these, or, or, or are any of these true, accurate, historical accounts? Now I happen to believe there is an avalanche of evidence to show they are accurate historical accounts of the life of Jesus. You might not be there. And we want to leave room for you to be able to say, okay, give me some time and some space, Will, to, to process some of my questions as I hopefully move closer to God. And, and that is exactly what we want to do. That is exactly what some of the stories you saw, some of the people that you saw up here today, that has been part of their story. They needed some time. They needed some place to, to ask questions and to work their way towards God. And they found him. And I hope and pray that that is true for you to do today. 
But what we did over the last several weeks is we picked one gospel. You may say, I'm not sure I can trust all of them, but how about we just say, maybe one of them is true. I think they're all true, but what, maybe just one is true. Maybe that's where you are. If just one is true, then what Jesus said about himself is actual fact. It is accurate. And if what Jesus said about himself is true and what they recorded about what Jesus said and did is true, then salvation is possible. Faith is possible. Knowing God, eternal life, all of that now becomes a reality. And, and we ought to sit up straight, pay attention because the stakes are high. In other words, your salvation and my salvation, eternal life hangs in the balance for every single person. And this is what Jesus came to spotlight and help us to understand who God is and how we fit into that kingdom, that plan, that family that he is opening up for us to be a part of. So over the last several weeks, we've picked one gospel, the gospel of Luke. And, and I love Luke because, uh, and Luke's named for its author. Luke was a, a physician, but he tells us even in the first chapter, right up front, here's what I'm up to. I have carefully investigated all of these things from the beginning. I have gone back and, and interviewed eyewitness testimony to make sure that I'm giving you actual facts about this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so that you might have certainty about the things for which you have been taught about Jesus. And this is still relevant for us today. We really, it would be great to have certainty. And he's saying, I recorded these things so that you might know. He didn't know he was writing religious literature. At the time when he was writing it, that's not, was not on his mind. He did not know he was writing something that would be a part of this thing called the Bible someday that was assimilated over 300 years after it was written, his recordings here. And I'm so thankful that it was, but you need to understand, he was simply trying to say, I want to capture the facts, the reality of this Jesus so that it could be spread, recorded, and spread all over the world. And so every generation that comes after us, that they would be able to know this Jesus. And, and he documented Jesus' fascinating, life-changing culturally shocking, paradigm-shifting teaching. And, and I've been trying to help you to understand the context so that you see how radical it was what Jesus taught. And here's what Jesus claimed. Jesus claimed to know what God is like and who God likes. <laughs> A lot of people had tried at that, but Jesus is saying, I'm gonna tell you exactly what God is like and who he likes. Now, this is really important, especially if you wanna get into this category here. Don't we all wanna, like I would love to be one of the people God likes, right? So here, how, do we, how do we understand this? This is really what Jesus is getting at today. So we're gonna be looking at the 15th chapter of Luke, and in this 15th chapter, he's gonna unveil for us with a series of parables, and one is one of the most iconic parables of all time, this metaphorical story to teach us about God and us, what God's like and who he likes, okay? So let's take a look at this together. And by the way, this is kind of like Luke saying, see, this is why Jesus is such good news. Not only did he bring good news, but he is, he is the good news, okay? Here's how he begins. This is verse one. 
He's, he's showing us the context in which Jesus is about to teach. And it's important to understand this context because everything else will have so much more meaning. And really, you'll understand the central point that Jesus is trying to make. He says, now the tax collectors and, uh, let's say it together, and sinners. <laughs> tax collectors and sinners. Probably the two most despised, hated groups uh, among the Jewish people. The tax collectors were those who were Jewish, working for the Roman government, collecting taxes, but getting rich off of their own people by surcharging them. So they had all the things everybody envied, and they were getting rich off their friends and neighbors and family, but didn't seem to have a conflict in their conscience about it, and they hated them because of it. And these people, both the tax collectors and the sinners, were generally the people that hung out with them, but this included everybody else prostitutes and criminals and robbers and thugs of all sorts. They were all, it's, this is kind of mind-boggling. They all came to hear Jesus teach. And he's saying, check this out. These are the people that were the considered unclean, unfit for the temple, unfit to sit at the feet of any rabbi. Yet Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, had them coming to him. And they were considered by most of the, the culture at that time as hopelessly separated from God and lost relationally from God. So he goes on to say, these tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Like he's really spotlighting this. It's like Luke is saying, isn't this amazing? This has never happened before. These kind of people don't get invited to come hear a rabbi. They don't come and gather around people like Jesus. Isn't this amazing? To which people of his day would say, no, it's not amazing, Luke. It's embarrassing. I can't believe those people are even here. That was kind of the attitude that m most people would have. And he's showing us here that people, nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. That Jesus, his righteous, his core was never compromised, but he was never self-righteous. And this is really important to understand the distinction here. So he goes on to say, these tax collectors and sinners, they're gathered around, they're hearing, but the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the most religious do-gooders of the day, the most religious people, the leaders of all of the religious uh, uh, movement of the, uh, the, the Jewish people, the leaders of the temple, the people that would be in charge, they muttered, they muttered to themselves. And what did they mutter? If he's really from God, if he's really from God, he would reject those people and he'd accept us. He would reject those people because that's who we reject. We kick them out. But instead, he's making time for them. He's eating lunch with them. He's spending time with them. And, and, and their way of saying this is, this man welcomes the sinners. Instead of welcoming us, he welcomes the sinners. And he eats with them. Can you believe that? In other words, it's like Jesus is just as bad as they are. Jesus is just as bad as they, they're, he, he acts just like them. He's guilty by association. Look at the people he's hanging out with. And I love what one commentator said, hey, if Jesus was worried about guilt by association, he would have stayed in heaven, all right? I love that, it's so true. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. In John 8, the, the famous passage, the woman caught in adultery, by the way, 
She couldn't have been having adultery by herself, but she's there by herself. Where's the guy, right? He should have been drug out there too. And he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. Nobody could pick up a rock. He's like, that's the standard. So you want to start throwing rocks, you're accountable to the one who is without sin. And he's like, that's not how I do things. And I want you to know that there was a place for you here. So in his audience, let's think about this for a second. There are these two groups. There is the self-righteous and there is the unrighteous. The self-righteous and the unrighteous. Now, now here's the question I want you to think about for just a minute, because we have a, a group gathered here today, just like we did in the first century listening to Jesus. Which way do you lean, right? We all lean one direction or the other, either self-righteous or unrighteous. Now, the self-righteous literally says, and maybe you've been caught doing this, if if I'm gonna be perfectly honest as a pastor, I wanna be confessional and real, there is a tendency in me at times, I I, I have to fight against it, of being self-righteous. I'm being real honest. Like, maybe you've had that, those moments where just it wells up in you and you say, what is up with those people? Are they crazy? What are they thinking, right? And you're doing that because you're so indignant, because you're so right and they're so wrong. And you can't see it any other way. And and you may be right in that moment. But there is the unrighteous category as well. And the unrighteous, you might fall into that category today. And it might be, it's something like this, internal dialogue maybe you've had before. God may love me, but I don't think he likes me. And you struggle maybe nearly all the time with feeling distant from God. God wouldn't want somebody like me. Well, if you knew what I've said, what I've done, where I've been, what I... I'm going to really hurt God's reputation if he lets me join the family. I'm just going to tell you right now. Like... Some of you feel this way. Some of you have been there. I've been there. I've felt that way before. Yeah. So there are these two groups. There are these two groups. And they're both confused about what God is like and who God likes. So Jesus is telling this parable to clarify, to help clear the air and to make crystal clear who God is and what he's like and who he likes. So he tells these three parables. I don't have time to tell all three. But All three of them are are teaching a specific lesson, and here it is, valuable things that were lost. He's telling a story about valuable things that were lost. And in all three of these stories, he's asking a question that he answers, and he implies an answer in all three. So I want us to take a look at the first one together, chapter 15, verse 4. Here's how he begins the first parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, obviously, Jesus' audience was a little different in that he had a lot of sheep shepherds that were sitting out there. I'm guessing probably not a lot of you are going home to, uh, you know, herd sheep. That's probably not your career path, right? So think in terms of not so much sheep, but lost keys or a lost credit card or a lost, the Lord forbid, cell phone, okay? Imagine for a moment that's lost. You don't know where it is right? And he's talking about this shepherd. I don't care if I do have 99 sheep still here. All I can think about is the one that's lost. 
Like, Jesus is, is talking about something that's just innate to the human nature. When you lose something, you don't comfort yourself by saying, well, let me just focus on all the stuff I didn't lose today, right? Nobody, nobody does that. All you can think about are where are those keys? Where's that credit card? Where did I leave my cell phone? Well, I've got to look, I've got to look, I've got to look. So what did the shepherd do? He goes and looks. He searches and searches until he finds that sheep. And man, that little sheep has wandered way far away. He puts it on his shoulders, walks all the way back, and calls all of his friends and neighbors together. Celebrate with me. This lost sheep has been found and brought back. And this is what Jesus tells us at the end of this first parable. He says, I tell you that in the same way, in the same way that that shepherd would just go bananas and want everybody to celebrate with him, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. He's talking about in the very presence of God, in his throne room, over one, let's say it together, one sinner who repents, who turns from their sin and towards God. Agreeing with God, yes, sin is destroying my life. Consequently, just as a little side note, you know why God hates sin? Sin breaks God's heart because sin breaks people. It breaks us down. It makes us slaves. It makes us prisoners. Jesus is, he even says, I have come to set the captives free. And anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You can't break out of it. You can't make yourself unlost. You can't do that on your own. You have to have God's help, he shows us. And the people, they're, they're hearing all of this. That there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And it's like, hey, wait a minute, God, pump the brakes. Wait just a minute. Are you telling us that God views unrighteous people as something valuable that got lost from its owner? Is that what you're, is that, are you, that's what you're saying, Jesus? Exactly. That is exactly how God sees it. And for those of us who tend to lean towards self-righteousness, I believe Jesus would ask us this question. Is that how you view people that are not as right as you or as left as you? This is a really important question to ask. Not it would be better if this planet was rid of people like them. You don't see Jesus coming with that attitude at people. <laughs> we do it all the time. But he's like, look, check your heart, right? I want you to understand where I'm coming from. This is so important. He tells another parable about a woman who loses a coin, and she finds it, and she celebrates just like the shepherd. And then he comes to the most iconic of the three. He comes to this parable about this wealthy man who has two sons. The older son, well-behaved, great kid, incredible, serving dad, amazing. Younger son, just the opposite, all right? He's a little hellion. He's like uh, ready to go. He wants to get out of the house. He's just waiting around for dad to die so he can get the inheritance. Like, no kidding. It's crazy. He's just like, man, how old is this old man going to live? Like, how, how long is it? Like, I'm just like, I want my money. It was like, I want, I would rather have the money than you, dad. 
And maybe some of you go, wow, I can relate to that in my family. But yeah, that's a horrible place to be, isn't it? Especially in a, in a society, a patriarchal society, when it was all about honor and respect. Jesus is telling a story about a young man who is absolutely disrespectful to his father. Verse 12, he loses his patience and he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Like, right now, old man, give me my money. Like, almost like, I wish you were dead. I wish you murdered. Everybody would have, <gasps> what? Gasped. They would have been uh, uh, completely shocked. Like, really? And, and, and they're probably even more shocked at what the father does next. He says, next, in the next verse, he says, so he divided his property between them, and he gives the younger son what he's asking. And you may be asking, just like Jesus' audience, why? Why would he do that? Um, the, the father would realize that as much as he wants that young son back, that the son was lost to him relationally, so he let him go. He was lost to him relationally. It's just like the other parables. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a going away. There's a, there's a choosing to be lost, moving away from the father. And maybe you know somebody back. Maybe you've been that person. And so what happens next? The son takes the money and runs. He takes the money and runs. And he, over the next couple of weeks and months, he squanders what took his father half a lifetime to accumulate. Wild living, living it up until he is flat broke. And none of his party friends are coming around anymore because he's dead broke. And so... Then, on top of that, Jesus says, and a famine hits the land. So food's hard to find, and economy's going crazy, and everything's way more expensive than it used to be, and the only job he can get is working for a pig farmer. Now, this may not sound appalling to you, but for a Jewish family, pigs were considered very ceremonially unclean. You're not to touch them. As a matter of fact, as you look at the Old Testament, pigs were never named among the sacrifices God asked for at the temple. And I think part of that might have been that God's like, I want you people to have good bacon, so I don't want to have to use those. It's just a joke. Okay. So, he, so he's feeding these pigs, and it says that he sees the pods that the pig's eating, and he's like, oh, if I could just get a pig pod. Like, how hungry do you have to be? I don't know if you've ever, I used to, I used to have pigs when I was a teenager. I, like, those are nasty. You don't want to be nibbling on one of those things, right? Not for your meal, not for lunch. And so this shows just how poor, how, how far down he fell. And it said that nobody would help him. Nobody would help him. He had a bad re reputation. Nobody wanted to extend, give him an, a hand up, a help. And all of his audience were probably saying, yes. Finally, that little brat is reaping what he sowed. He's getting what he deserves, right? And isn't this the temptation sometimes? Jesus, I mean, in a masterful moment of teaching, he gets all of his audience, maybe for the first time, self-righteous and the unrighteous are all agreeing for the very first time of their life. And isn't this true, though? Sometimes when we, we see people that are way, way down, they have fallen, they're in horrible places, and they, you know they made bad choices before they fell. And there's some little part of us that say, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. He's reaping what he sowed. Like, that, that makes sense. Like, he, he ought to be there, right? 
And he comes to this place where Jesus shows us that he's saying to himself, maybe he's looking in the reflection in the, the pig trough. <laughs> he doesn't have a mirror, but he's looking into himself and he's saying, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Who have I become? Who am I? And some of you here may have had moments like that. Maybe you're having a moment like that right now. You look at your life and you say, how did I get here? Wow. Who even am I anymore? And I just want you to know, and this may be why you're here today, you're in the right place at the right time. And there's no accident that you are here because Jesus is about to tell us what the Father is like and who he likes. And here is the next thing. The, the, the younger, uh, younger brother or the younger son says to himself, listen, my father's servants, they have more than enough to eat. I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to go back and I'm going to beg for mercy. And here's what he says. This is kind of internal dialogue, verses 18 and 19, 20. He says, I'm going to set out and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I'm sure the audience is like, oh, this is going to be good. Confrontation. Daddy's probably going to tell him like it is and really put him in his place. Now, they knew what they would do if they were the father, but they didn't know what the father would actually do because they don't know what God the father is actually like. And Jesus lets us know over and over, and Luke records this for us, this is the reason for which Jesus came, to show us who God the father actually is. He came to reveal the father to us, and this is why you see him saying to his own disciples at times, because they're like, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus would look back and he says, don't you know by now, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am God incarnate, God in the flesh, God with a bod, as some people say. That is, that's what Jesus, he came. He's like, I want to demystify who God is, his kingdom, and how you can be a part of it. I want you to know him. And anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. He did this so that we could have a relationship with the living God. This is why he came. And Luke is showing us that um, through the words of Jesus, this is what God is like. And, and I want you to look at this. This is such a great verse here in verse 20. Whenever the young man crests that hill going to his father's house and he can finally see it, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, I left it blank for right now because I want you to think about it. What would you fill that blank with? How would you answer that? Now, let me turn the question around. If you were the son coming over the hill, what do you wish with all your heart would go in that blank? You see, Jesus is showing us that we have all been or are currently the prodigal in this parable. What I mean by that, that in some season of our life, we have all been lost to God. Let's be honest. You didn't pop out the womb found, okay? I didn't either. We have to come to God. We have to choose. Just because you have Christian parents, wonderful Christian grandparents, whoever, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. That doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. You must choose. We all have to choose. 
So, in some season of our life, we've all been there. So here's how Jesus answers the question. The father was filled with compassion for him. And then Jesus, what he says next, just about explodes their brains. It blows up their any view that they, preconceived notion they had about God. It just explodes, ignites it. Here's what he says. He was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, back then, a man of means that had stature and high position in society didn't run anywhere. He strutted wherever he went. Running's for the servants, not for the high roller, the important guys, and he was clearly an important guy. And he's showing, he's reminding us, who's the father actually symbolizing? Heavenly Father, God in heaven. This is his heart towards those who are far from him that start to move their way. The audience, I'm sure, is thinking, wait, 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 Jesus, that's impossible. This kid's lost. He's no good. He's ruined. You see what he did? You know how he lived? His, the decisions that he made, the behaviors that he, that he engaged in, God wouldn't have any place for him. And the younger son does what he recited, what he had been memorizing the whole way home. Verse 21, he says this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy. Dad stops listening. Dad, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm gonna tell my servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. What is the dad doing? He's reinstating his son as a fully-fledged member with all the rights and privileges of his family just as though he had never left I don't you you have to let that amaze you Jesus is showing us something about the father in heaven that is absolutely mind-blowing because we've all been that sorry rotten prodigal we have run from him we've hurt him we've disrespected him we broke his heart and he still welcomes us like this. How should I, I, when I think about my own personal humanity and how I would respond to the kid, I would say, like, let's pump the brakes a little bit, slow down, maybe we should wait, and just see, you know, if this change of heart sticks, it's like real, and before we start lavishing everything on this boy, not the father. The Father's showing us, no, 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 no. This is not about behavior. Jesus is showing this. This is about the Father. This is not about behavior. It's about restoring a broken relationship. Verse 24 just screams this message. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. The implication is God doesn't see good people and bad people. He sees lost people and found people. Jesus did not come down to earth to make all the bad people good, but to help dead people become alive, to help lost people be found. Now, here's the question. What if we saw people like that? What if we saw people as lost and found instead of good and bad? What if we... we, we, um, we resisted, we... Um, stopped ourselves cold from ever looking down 
as somebody dismissing someone, disrespecting someone, but realizing, yeah, I may not agree with this individual, but they are someone who needs a Savior. They need God's love. They need to be found, and I want to help them. Now, you remember the older brother. The older brother, the well-behaved one who had been at home all this time, he comes in from working, probably been working hard all day, just like he does every day, because he's, the, he's in the right. He does right things. He's good, right? He comes home. He hears the party going on. Music's playing. People are dancing, and he calls one of the servants. What is happening at the house? Your brother, your younger brother, he's come back. He's asked for forgiveness, and he's being reinstated by your dad as a full-fledged member of the family. We had to celebrate we had to celebrate. He's like, no, we don't. I'm angry. I ain't even, I'm not even going into that house. I don't want to be a part of that party. Forget it. I'm staying out here. And we're told that the father comes out to his son because he, he, he uh, ignores or you know, resists, resists coming into the house. So the father comes out. And what does he say to his father? He says this. He says, look, all these years I have been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. But when this son of yours comes who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes on, and he holds nothing back, right? He's like, let me tell you exactly what that boy's been doing. This is what he's been doing, right? Your hard-earned money, that's what he did with it. You kill the fatted calf for him? Are you kidding me? I don't get it, Dad. He doesn't deserve this, Dad. Have you ever had one of those moments? He doesn't deserve this, God. She doesn't deserve this. Jesus is showing us from God's perspective by what the Father says. It's as if God is saying, who said anything about deserve? Nobody deserves what I give. Nobody. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. I am celebrating a restored relationship. He says, we had, this is verse 32, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He didn't say bad and good. He's not bad and now he's good again. He didn't say that. He was lost. He was lost to me, God's saying, and is found. He's dead and now alive now alive. This could happen for you today. And for many of you, it has happened. And there are other people in your life, some of which maybe you can hardly stand to be around, but God says, I want you to be a life, a life buoy. I want you to be a, a lifeline for that person to come and find me. Because just as we started this entire message, self-righteousness doesn't look good on anyone, especially Christians. Just because you know the Lord, you have a relationship with him, does not make you better than. It makes you better off because you were once lost and now you're found. And now your foundness ought to help you be motivated to help other people to get found. Because Jesus gave everything. He didn't give half of his wealth. He gave everything, all that he had so that he could pave a way for you to come home to him. He laid his very life down so that you could be forgiven 
that you can know the Lord. And some of you today need to say, I've never done that, and I want to do that. You feel there's a, there's a tug at your heart right now. Don't dismiss that. That is the spirit of Almighty God saying it's time. Today's the day. Today is the day I want to help you to go from lost to found, from dead to alive. So what if we viewed everybody like that? Not as good and bad, but just but as lost to God and found. It would be so powerful, wouldn't it? It would change everything. And I just want to encourage you right now, if you would, let's pray this prayer together. Here's the application prayer I'm asking everybody to commit to today. It's just simply, based on what Jesus taught, Luke 15, Heavenly Father, help me to begin to see people as lost and found, not good and bad. And for some of you here, this doesn't pertain to everybody, but for some of you, you know who you are. You need to begin with this prayer. I want to come home to you today, Lord. Heavenly Father, Daddy, I want to know you. I want that kind of son-father relationship, a a father-daughter relationship for the first time. You've never had that with God. It is available through Jesus. And I want to invite you to receive it right now. If you would, let's bow together in prayer. And may you take a step of faith from wherever you are in the direction of Jesus. Right now, Lord Jesus, all across this room, May you help us to begin to incorporate your worldview and how you saw and see people right down to this moment, not as good and bad, but as lost and found. Would you just help us, Lord, all across this room? If you, if you would just make this commitment with me right now to say from here forward, I am going to commit to begin to look at people around me, especially those that I just like really disagree with, that I have just a heavy gut level disgust for sometimes. Help me, God, to stop looking at them as bad and I'm good, but to begin to look at them as lost and found people and begin to help them to find you and leave the results with God. Right now, if you would be willing to say, I'm asking God right now to help, help me to stop looking at people that's good and bad, but lost and found, would you just lift your hand as an act of faith right now just to say, well, I'm committing with you right now. God bless you guys. Thank you for the hands going up. I, everybody here, I just pray you would commit with me right now just to say, yes, Lord. I commit to see people as lost and found. And Lord, use me to help people to find you. Help me to get outside of my little comfort zone to invite people to come with me to church. Invite people into a conversation with me about my faith that I might be able to share the good news of Jesus, that they can be forgiven and set free in Christ. You may lower your hands. Lord, I pray for every person that can hear my voice in the room right now and that may be online right now as well that would say, honestly, I have been in a season as a prodigal. I've been a a son or daughter on the run. I have been turned into everything but God. But today, I know, I know my father is calling me home and I need to say yes. And would you right now say yes? Say, God, yes. Heavenly Father, yes, I turn to you. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive my sin that has kept me from God. I repent, I turn from it, and I turn towards you 
And I ask that you would be the leader and Lord over my life from this day forward. If you just prayed that for the first time, asking the Lord to forgive your sin and be the leader of your life, would you just lift your hand boldly as an act of faith and say, God bless you over here. I see those two hands right here. Anybody else? I'm giving it all over to Jesus, holding nothing back. Anybody in the balcony, giving it all over to the Lord. God bless you right back there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anybody else giving it all over to you? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, thank you for speaking to our heart today. Thank you for transforming lives. Thank you for us getting a chance to celebrate the life change through these baptisms today. People going public with their faith is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I pray, God, that you would help us as we go forward and take seriously your words put them into practice and see you use us to make a difference in this world. One day, one choice, one person at a time. In Jesus' name that we pray and everybody said, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.